Scottish Rugby Podcast with Stuart McFarlane and Dale Clancy. That's extraordinary. Welcome to the latest edition of the Tackling Scottish Rugby Podcast. I'm Stuart McFarlane. And I'm Dale Clancy. And coming up this week, an exclusive interview with Chris Patterson, who talks about Scotland's win in Wales and Doddy Weir's induction into the Scottish Rugby Hall of Fame. The Tackling Scottish Rugby Podcast. Dale, good to see you again. It's... uh, been a few days since we last caught up what rugby have you managed to take in since we last spoke I managed to catch all of the games of the Six Nations at the weekend which was really good Scotland game really interesting England game a bit boring it was quite unstructured but the France Island game was exceptional I thought it was a really good game a first for the, the Pro 14 was the introduction of Monday Night Rugby and Glasgow Warriors were up against Leinster uh, on Monday evening of course the, the result as we'll touch on didn't go their way can you see that being a perhaps an addition to the rugby calendar regular professional rugby played on a Monday night or is it simply just to fit into the, the timetable that exists at the moment as we head into a newly formed international competition that later in the month I think it's hard to gauge what audience you'd get on a Monday at the moment it's probably even more difficult to gauge what kind of audience you'd get on a Monday on a normal week starting the Pro 14 on the Thursday finishing on the Sunday might be good but it's just making it accessible there's so many different subscriptions and channels going about I suppose if the TV revenue money is coming in and that's going to bolster the coffers of the the professional clubs you have to accept that the timetable may well change to suit television companies at the moment and if they are helping to provide money to pay wages and and to secure the finances of the club for the the short to medium term then that has to be an important factor in the, the decision making for you commentating on the radio how's it for you how do you find the atmosphere at a game like how do you find the whole pro for do you think it's different to what it was before or do you just still have the same job there's no home advantage when you're, you're playing at home apart from the fact you're not obviously travelling and you've got teams coming to your ground but you, you still have a stadium announcer you still have music you still have all the bells and whistles that would normally be in place at Scottsdale on Monday night as was the case when they played their first home game of the season against Scarlets a few weeks before. There was no screens in the ground, so there was no opportunity to watch replays, and there was just a a little monitor, almost like a 21-inch television on the side of the pitch for the referee to go and consult. So there are differing factors. That, I suppose, applies whichever day of the week that you're playing, and I suppose it it is a a 70-week occupation for the the players and they just have to adjust to the timetable accordingly I don't necessarily think it'll last all that long but I think if nothing else it's an interesting experiment Yeah, so no is the short answer to that (laughs) In conclusion Yeah. (laughs) The Tackling Scottish Rugby Podcast Well Dale, we'll take a look at this week's Type 5 and I suppose we have to start by talking about Scotland's victory down in Flaneth. The first time in 18 years that they've left Wales with a, a Six Nations win. But under the most unusual and peculiar circumstances, brought about obviously by COVID. Yeah, obviously a delay in the Six Nations and this was our first competitive game, really, in a format such as the Six Nations or Nations Cup. It was obviously our first competitive game in a long, long time since our win against France and uh, our win against Italy as well and and narrowly losing to England and and Ireland in the Six Nations. It it was a chance to put down a real marker and I think I was confident going in that we would win and the first half really controlled the play, I thought, up to about 35 minutes. We had 62% possession. There was the bit with the try and looking back Stuart Hogg 
it was almost as if he was trying to force the issue. He tried an up and under spiral, which went over to the right-hand side. Wales got on a bit of attack. Falatau kicked in a, a lovely kick into the corner in, in open play. And then it was the line-out throw, which went long after that, which got Wales's first real chance. And I thought then, we'd been typical Scotland, we'd control the game which I feel like we can do now. And then I thought we were going to blow it, but they came out in the second half. They just reverted back to form. And really, they snuffed out any Wales opportunities. We were talking last week about how important defence is, and I feel that Scotland won that on their defence. They didn't look too good in attack. I don't think they've got that X factor in the backs when they lose likes of Russell and Hastings. But they were really, really good in defence. Took their opportunity when it came. There was another couple that they perhaps left out in the field. But overall, I think it was a workmanlike victory and really one up front in the forwards. And certainly one that Gregor Townsend will be more than happy to take going into a, a new competition, of course, in the, the Autumn Nations Cup, which begins a little bit later on in November. Now, mixed fortunes for Edinburgh and Glasgow. Edinburgh winning in truly awful conditions. Glasgow up against... a. Arguably a second string Leinster side scoring three very good tries, but I have to say, Dale, that mistakes at the breakdown, particularly the line out set piece on two or three occasions, costing them quite dear, and Leinster coming away with yet another bonus point victory. That's four from four this season for a side that you have to say are head and shoulders above just about anything else in the competition. Yeah, well, that's their 23rd win on the bounce in the Pro 14, and they're, they're a formidable team. And then we can start speaking about the fact that our two professional teams have perhaps lost a few players to the international stage, so they've got to bring in new personnel, but... They just seem to have that continuity. They've got a, a way of working that seems that when, when they bring new players in, they're seamlessly in. And I feel from our point of view, I think for, for Glasgow and Edinburgh, it was good for Edinburgh to get that win. Horrible conditions, horrible scoreline, no doubt a horrible game, but the win's important. But Glasgow are perhaps in that little bit of a transitional period where they do bring some newer personnel in who are not as experienced as the, the international players who, as soon as the international weeks are on, Glasgow lose a lot of players it's been the case for the last few years so it's experience for them and it's not a bad score line they're scoring tries but they're also conceding so at least they've got stuff to work on but you, you just feel when, when the international guys do come back things will get better but it's again like I said last week it's, it's immersing the professional players into this environment and getting them the experience Moving on then to another topic in the, the tight five this week and really touching on something you mentioned just there is the, the squad depth of both Edinburgh and Glasgow and watching Glasgow bringing in Hamish Bain in the, the second row for a, a second appearance. He'd just come back from France, having a little bit earlier on in his career been deemed not to be quite ready for professional rugby in Scotland. TJ Uwani, the, the Samoan starting at number eight, which is not necessarily his preferred position in the back row. You have to say that looking ahead to a successful Super 6 campaign and series of campaigns, that's where you could then blood some more players as well as those coming through the youth and the under-20s age grades within Scotland. Yeah, I think the depth at the top of the pyramid is getting better and I think it's been highlighted in the, the la certainly the last episode we had with Gregor Townsend I think he's really happy with the depth that he's got at the national level but I think at the professional level once these weeks come about it does highlight that there is maybe a little bit of a void I am for 
Super 6 I think that it will help blood these players through to a better level and a better standard but at the moment like these are unprecedented times we've got a global pandemic on at the moment Super 6 is not happening just now neither is club rugby so that's a whole different matter that I think you know needs a little bit more time to discuss but in terms of the depth of the squad nationally it's going to be interesting going into the Nations Cup to see what the outcome with Finn and with Adam Hastings is does Duncan Weir get his chance I know there's talk of putting Stuart Hogg to 10 but I think we leave him at full we need to kind of to make sure that we've got a, another 10 coming through get him game time this is what it's for so it'll be interesting to see what the depth of the squad is and even in the back three after the Barbarians faux pas we've got depth in the back three now Van der Merwe coming through Darcy Graham playing well you know we've got good players in the back three so Sean Maitland as much as he's a loss I don't feel he's, a, he's, he's as glaring a loss as he might have been two or three years ago at the moment The women's game has been the focus of some attention in recent weeks and quite rightly so given how well they played against France and been able to carve out that very good draw at Scotsdale a few weeks ago so clearly you can understand their frustrations and disappointment at not being able to go on and play Wales again because of a Covid diagnosis forcing the postponement of, of that game but looking away from the women's game at sort of the, the wider club situation just now in the future of club rugby Women's international postponed, club rugby very much on hold at the moment. Uncertain times for a, a lot of players that are keen to get back out and play on a regular basis. Yeah, I, I, I literally had this conversation with a, a friend last night who messaged me and I think the club game, it's in a really difficult position because not only they're the heart of a community, but not only do they rely on a lot of you know match tickets to keep facilities going and premises going, they do rely on the team playing as well to kind of sustain that rugby club. So although youth rugby is going at the moment, which I think is great, I've seen it was Bigger Rugby Club put something on their Instagram. It was a Halloween theme. Their uh, youth players were out on the pitch and their junior section out there training. Yeah, I thought that was a great thing to see. It was almost like things were normal again. But when you look further up from that, when you've got young adults, male and female, in the club game, having such a big gap between stuff, I think it'll be difficult to try and retain them or retain most of them when they come back. And that was the kind of the crux of the conversation I was having with a friend last night was the fact that I know players who are playing club rugby, that's my experience. I, I played club rugby for my local team for a few years and I think it's a different beast to what it was years ago. Club rugby has completely changed in terms of the, the landscape of modern life. People are working nowadays a lot more than perhaps they were in the past. And I think this could be a big gap. People might drift off to other sports. People might start picking up mountain biking, for example, golf. Some people might just get immersed in their work. It's going to be a challenging time at the other end of this when things change and you know players are having to start going back to their clubs to play. And I hope that most of them go back, but there is a chance that we're going to lose a few. But hopefully no clubs fall by the wayside during this time. Dale, I want to round off this week's Type 5 by talking a little bit about Doddy Weir and a real feel-good story coming out of Scottish Rugby with the news that he's been inducted into Scottish Rugby's Hall of Fame. And you can't think of anyone more deserving of such an honour and such an accolade, particularly at this time. Yeah, definitely. The work that he's doing just now is tremendous. He does it with a smile on his face. He does it with positivity. He's raised such an awareness for MND, not just across Scotland, across the UK, but you know he's doing work across the world. I remember when he when he was first diagnosed, and there was a talk with with him and um, Us van der Vestes and as well. He's an advocate for what he does. But out with that, his rugby achievements are really great as well. You know, his book's a good read. It's funny. It's entertaining, and it's also when you buy it, it's going towards a good cause. And I do think he carries himself great and I don't think there's a, a better recipient of going into the Hall of Fame 
We were at a Newcastle Falcons game a few years ago when we were all at People's Rugby Club and it used to be one of our big days out. So we went down to the Falcons game and Doddy was there. Doddy was the kind of entertainer in his full tartan suit. So one of my teammates went up and he was saying, I love Doddy. Like, Doddy was my hero when I was a kid. And this was, what, 2010 maybe? So got up on the stage and he said, Dale, do you mind taking a photo with him? So I said, yep, no worries. So he's standing up there, took a couple of photos. Doddy shook his hand, walked away. And uh, my teammate was absolutely ecstatic to get a photo of him and Doddy until he looked on his phone and realised I'd just taken three selfies. And to this day, <laughs> I still feel quite bad about it. It was funny at the time, but um, he never did get that photo with Doddy, which I feel quite bad about. No, absolutely, Dale. A, a true character of the game and showing incredible courage, character and spirit and determination as he takes each day as it comes using the, the familiar old adage, but so many of us can learn so much about his attitude and just about how he, he tackles life head on. So that's this week's Type 5 Topics. Moving on to our special guest, and he lit up the Melrose Sevens as a 21-year-old, had two spells with Edinburgh, and for a while was Scotland's most capped men's player. Tackling Scottish Rugby. Well, Dale, we're talked in our first episode about asking legends onto the podcast and being part of the podcast and, and they don't come much bigger, much greater than the man we have on this week. Delighted to say joining us is Chris Patterson. Chris, thank you very much for your time, sir. <laughs> thank you very much for the introduction, Stuart. That was a belter, <laughs> wasn't it? Uh, that'll not be topped. I'm not sure <laughs> it is particularly accurate, but I'm, I'm not sure it'll be topped either. Good to be on, lads. You're a, you're a modest man as always and, and a very busy man as well because you're just reflecting there on a, a very peculiar end of Six Nations. The the weekend just passed was a was one that you would probably file under unfinished business to have three Six Nations matches. But you were down at Parky Scarlet's in Flanetley to watch Wales against Scotland. Can you give us an idea, was there any kind of typical Six Nations vibe within the ground or was it completely alien to what you'd expect? It was really strange. I mean, I've I've been lucky enough to be involved in a few games really since the restart in terms of whether it's, you know, with you guys or Premier Sports or just being in and around. And, and it is strange, but you're gradually getting used to it, I find. Often, as you know, when you're commentating or working at the game in a media capacity, you have headphones on that have the programme sound that, people will get at home so you're not actually that aware of the lack of atmosphere because you've got your, your headphones on but I've got to say Saturday was even more difficult than usual I think it was because the usual buzz and excitement and just I don't know incredible noise that goes around the Six Nations and the colour that goes around the Six Nations wasn't there and we spoke on the Friday night and the Nicola and I said I wonder if the fact that it is a Six Nations game if that will help will it magically transform you know, what's what's such a difficult situation with, with no fans being there into someone that is like the Six Nations. But the game was difficult to start with. Conditions had quite a big effect. But it, it was really, really kind of off-putting for us all just, just being there. There was almost no one there. Travelling reserves plus event staff in terms of first aiders and one or two kind of media. But really strange, a really quiet atmosphere. You could hear the players, you could hear the hits, you could hear the small conversations between the players. And I think because it was an international, it seemed even more stark than a club game. For some reason, I don't I don't understand why, because usually associate internationals with such a big buzz 
that it was a strange atmosphere, but a brilliant victory nonetheless for Scotland. Do you think the lack of atmosphere played into Scotland's hands? Because obviously you had Alwyn Jones breaking the, the world cap record and then you could see when he ran out, he almost had like a kind of a smirk on his face because it was like, this is very strange. But do you think that almost kind of downplayed Wales a little bit and then played into Scotland's hands or do you think it was just an equaliser anyway? I think it would have a bigger effect and I thought this beforehand and I think I was probably right in thinking it it has a much bigger effect in the home team. That had a much bigger effect in Wales than it did in Scotland. I think it's a positive effect for Scotland. The cauldron and the atmosphere of Cardiff probably promotes Wales more than it damages Scotland over the last 10, 15 years. You're used to playing as an international player. You play away from home every second week and you know and you can feel it. And sometimes it's a brilliant, inspiring feeling when you're playing away from home and you feel that, especially when you play at Twickenham and you think the world's against you and you've just got this real desire to show everybody that you can do it. Whereas in Cardiff, you've still got that, but it's the effect the crowd have on the home team, I think, that, that inspires them. I said beforehand, I remember playing in the, the Pro 14 or Pro 12 and playing the Welsh players for their clubs one week and the following week later, you could play in Cardiff against the same players with the red jersey on and they were like different animals. So I think it did play into Scotland's hands. I think when a team's under pressure as well, like you can see both teams were under pressure to a certain extent, but I feel there was more pressure on Wales that that lack of atmosphere hurt them even more and Alan and Jones' smirk might have been <laughs> because they had the flame they had the usual flamethrowers on but they were a kind of dodgy angle to be honest <laughs> the replacements were kind of under fire as they were trying to get towards their seat I think one of them just about hit Alan and Jones in the back of the head as they came <laughs> out so it was, a, it was a, just a strange atmosphere but I do think it had a bigger effect on Wales than it did on us What I found interesting was again the whole match was a, an illustration of where Scotland have proved in defence, they've improved mm-hmm. markedly in defence since the, the turn of the year. I think the whole championship, they've conceded five tries and something around 63 points. Now, that is championship-winning defensive displays. So that that's maybe a, a, an important marker and way forward for the, the Scots and sign of improvement since the World Cup. Undoubtedly, and, and even more so international rugby. I think Wales won the Grand Slam last year and they only scored 10 tries. Or was it maybe even seven tries? It was it was it was single figures or towards ten most. That was the same as as Italy. Now Italy finished bottom and Wales won the Grand Slam. So what won them the Grand Slam was their defence. And it seems to be a trend at the moment, probably because you don't have as much time together. That the the best defence, the meanest defence, will probably at international level give you the best opportunity to to win games. Now, I would put New Zealand and France probably outside that bracket. I think they win games by their consistently win games by their just brilliant attack and their outstanding attack but most other teams can get their defence right quicker with less time together than get their attack right and I think it was a huge step forward Steve Tandis came in Matt Taylor beforehand did a, a huge amount of work a lot of good work but I'd been there a long time and sometimes the message doesn't even change it's just the person giving the same message can dilute some ways so a new phrase one or two slight changes in terms of really staying in the tackle longer if that makes sense really making a, a secondary effort and a tackle to slow possession, to be in control of that contact rather than a, a low chop tackle that, that keeps quite a high tempo in the game, really. So Steve's influence in terms of his persona and his experience and his passion and his, his technical understanding has made a big, big difference. And you can see the confidence it gives the team. I thought there wasn't a lot of quick ball at the weekend, but most of the quick ball in the game was from the Welsh team. The Welsh pack, actually, when they did have possession, didn't have a lot. But when they did, especially in the first half, looked as if they generated quicker ball than we did but it didn't really go to anything because our high press defence you could see Chris Harris often James Lang getting up quick Blair Kinghorn Darcy on the wings were getting up really aggressively and stopping 
even without making a tackle, they were stopping the momentum of Wales and forcing them to keep it tight. So I think attitude, desire, technical ability has to be there, but a good understanding and a clear understanding has laid the foundations for, as you say, the best defence in the in the Championship, conceded fewest points and, and the fewest we've conceded throughout the Six Nations for, I don't know how many years, but it was um, certainly probably a bit more than 15 or 20 years since we've conceded so few points. I was going to take it on now to looking ahead to the up-and-coming Autumn Nations Cup, the international tournament that's been devised around the whole COVID situation because we don't have the Southern Hemisphere teams touring, of course. With Scotland performing so well in the Six Nations, particularly the, the final three matches of the Six Nations and the Georgia win, there does seem to be a real appetite within the squad for this competition, maybe more so than other countries as they go into to play the first round of games. Yeah, I think you'll always have that appetite in a national squad and especially in a Scottish national squad. But I think the appetite and excitement probably comes from the feeling, and I'm guessing, I don't know for sure, but that there's so much more to come from the Scotland team. I think that's the... And I even got that from Gregor at the weekend, just through his reaction to, to the win, immediately as the camera panned to him. And you could see he was so proud, delighted to manage the last 10, 15 minutes of that game and come out with a, a really good away win that we hadn't done for 18 years. But I got the feeling that he was maybe thinking, oh, we could do so much more, you know, and there's more to come. So I think that excitement towards the Autumn Nations Cup comes from, yes, you're going to get the opportunity to, to play test match rugby. You know, we've all been missing as supporters and players alike. But actually, the excitement is we've got the chance to improve. We've got a base level now that we know we can rely on most of the time, hopefully. But there's almost still a sense of we can do more, we can you know, sharpen up an attack, we can be more dominant in defence, we can continue the, the brilliant work up front with the scrum and certainly the mall. So that excitement, I think, comes from the want to prove that, yes, things are going reasonably well at the moment, yes, they'll probably look forward to the, the championship more than, than other teams, but there's actually more to come, which I think is a, a really good, a positive situation. I think you're right. When you spoke to Gregor the week before, I think he was very excited about the depth that we now have in our Scotland squad, and I think you more than most can probably vouch that you probably didn't have that depth when you were playing at an international level. Mm. I think if the big players were out, you had to maybe call on somebody who couldn't step up. But if there's injuries to Finn Russell and, uh, mm. and to Adam Hastings, Duncan Weir can step in. But where else do you think that we can improve? Because do you think we've got that X factor in the centres? Do you think we've got the steel in the middle row? Do you think we've got the balance to improve? Or do you think we need different personnel to come into the squad to, to bring us that? I don't, I don't think necessarily we need different personnel. I think... And where you can improve is spending time together as a national team. I think you have to, when you're putting together a national team and, and working as a as a national coaching staff, I think you want to do everything. You want to be the best attackers. You want to be the best defenders. You want to have the best moves. You want to have the best counter-attack. You want to be best at breakdown. But you actually don't have time to work on all that. So as we said before, get the foundations in, which are excellent with the scrum. The line, it was difficult at the weekend because of the wind, but the, the mall and, and the driving play was excellent. Discipline was a big factor. 16 penalties to six, we, we won. So so these are real building blocks. So where could we improve? I think hopefully we could, um, I suppose, the balance of play. I thought we started quite well against Wales in terms of getting Hoggy at first and second receiver. There was James Lang at first and second receiver with Finn. So there was a real balance and we came, came up the short side a couple of times and got a bit of joy. But then maybe went away from that a wee bit to a more kind of stagnant game plan. But I think that was probably down to the wind. I mean, the wind, as we said numerous times, was really kind of dominating factor. But I would like to think we can work in our attack as as the lads will to be sharper and quicker. And I suppose the other thing where I think we can improve is 
finishing off opportunities we create. That was the story of the Six Nations in the opening game against Ireland. Uh, we didn't take them in Italy. I remember the start of the, the game against Italy, but we didn't finish off once or twice. England, we never had many opportunities. But again, at the weekend, if you think, when Hoggy went through with Chris Harris, Blair got through just towards the end of the, the first half, that could be an area where we improve. If we break the line, if we get in behind the defence, or when we do create opportunities like we are, if we can finish them, it goes a long way to, to making you a more, a more potent side. And you look at the, the teams we'll face in, in the pool stages, Italy, France and, and Fiji, contrasting styles. So they'll make for three very, very interesting matches, despite the fact they're going to be played in, in front of no spectators within the ground, of course. Well, that's it. I've seen parts of the other games from the weekend. I drove back up the road immediately after the game, so I heard them on the radio, the England-Italy game and the France-Ireland game. So I suppose with Italy, it sounded as if England had to work hard to break them down, and that's kind of traditional Italian play, really. I also was informed today, I start that I think from 60-odd possessions that England had, whether it was the first half or during the game, they failed to get to two phases, or they only got to two phases about seven times. So they were either kicking early or being turned over early, put under a lot of pressure from Italy. So it will be hard to break down. But I think tempo is key to, to the game in Italy, as it always is. But it will be a totally different game to, to Fiji and France. I think France at the moment are playing some brilliant attacking rugby. And as I said before, I put them alongside New Zealand where their focus seems to be on attack. They do kick a lot. A lot of the kicks are attacking kicks, but they've, they've just got that beautiful balance of play where they can attack from anywhere, really, in terms of close to the breakdown, out wide, kick attack, passing attack, counter attack. And then Fiji, well, if, <laughs> to get it right, it's pretty hard to stop, isn't it? They, they haven't played, though. I think they're trying to get fixtures arranged to try and get some game time before coming together. They haven't played since the World Cup. I think there's maybe one or two suspected cases of, of COVID-19 as well. Their problem will be continuity, but they'll get it. And we actually played them last in the pool stages, so they'll probably be pretty potent by the time we come against them. But it's at BT Murrayfield, and hopefully our discipline can, can hold like it did at the weekend, and we can be part of what should be a brilliant spectacle with the talent on, on both sides. Moving away from the, the international scene and the matches coming up to Scottish Rugby's Hall of Fame. And, of course, we recently discovered that uh, there's a new name to add to the many illustrious names within the <laughs> Hall of Fame at Murrayfield. And, Chris, you were very much part of the presentation. Tell us more. Yeah, yeah. The um, Doddy Weir's been inducted in the Scottish Rugby Hall of Fame. And, honestly, the, the most popular inductee, I think, ever. There's 27 inductees so far. Well, he was the 27th, so... Um, yeah, if you think of the thousands of people that have played rugby, men's rugby, women's rugby, the administrators, referees, coaches, and you know, for 27 people, it's a pretty big achievement. And I think Doddy's achievements as a player, firstly, go a long way to the reason why he's in there. Over 60 caps, second row, back row, an incredible athletic player. But how he's reacted to his diagnosis of more immune disease in the last four years has been nothing short of inspirational. Utterly inspiring for everyone around the globe really it's not just Scottish rugby it's, it's global so I was asked as a fellow inductee to present him with his trophy or the, the cap at his farm last weekend so <laughs> I went down I was sent into a barn obviously socialists it's in the barn and they, there was cows getting loaded onto the, the, the truck at one side of the barn and then I heard this volley of abuse walking into the, the barn and here comes Doddy and it was brilliant to see him smiling I thought it looked really well hadn't seen him obviously through lockdown and you know, it just said, like, days like this really, really help. And it, to me, that underlined how important he felt to be inducted into the Scottish Rugby Hall of Fame. And we had a good blather, but just utterly inspiring person every moment of every day. And yet, never really 
thinks hard on himself. He's, he's doing it for other people, and he, he for all the the money and the exposure his foundation has has managed to, to raise and, and and give. He spends all his time thanking other people, and you're like, listen, Doddy, this is you, mate. You you are an inspiration. But brilliant to see him inducted to the Hall of Fame, and. The first thing he said to me, he says, right, how many gala men are on this list? <laughs> I says, what do you mean? He says, how many gala men? He says, how many meros, how many gala? So he made me read out the, the inductees and it, even, it made his day even even better when he found out there was four meros men and only two gala men. So <laughs> he, was, uh, he, was as, uh, he was as happy as Larry with that one. I think the very fact that he would be in your company sort of face-to-face rather than using a, a virtual platform like we are today, that must make a huge difference for him because... The whole lockdown period must have been a very challenging time for him and his family, not being able to socialise with people in, in the normal way because that must have really been a, a huge factor in, in keeping him going at various times. I think so, yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't wait to, to get out and see him and as I say, it was all carefully planned. You know, safety first, that's why it was in the barn. We were obviously well socially distanced in terms of the entire time we were there. We had masks, masks were for the folk, obviously, but the folk was our are spread out as well and I think any time in the world I think if you achieve what Doddy's achieved and you're getting recognised in that way I think you would do anything to do it in person because it deserves it deserves that and I was lucky to be asked to go and do it Gregor would like to have been part of it but it was, wasn't possible with the bubble around the national team and then yeah and Doddy I mean as he said he just said listen these are a little things in the day that really make a difference to him and his uh, and, and his, his mindset and his attitude and he said getting outside was so important through lockdown as well. And, and immediately he then goes to talk about other people. He says, listen, there's sufferers with MND who, who can get outside, who are under lockdown, who are maybe living in you know apartment blocks and city centres and town centres. And, and he says, I'm just so lucky that I, I can get outside. And, and it helps the mood. But yeah, to see a friendly gala face, I think maybe put, <laughs> put his mood down a wee bit. But just <laughs> honestly, I can't, I can't can overestimate how just the, the impact he, he's had on a global scale um, and how proud I was to be able to, to share a half hour with him in, on, a, on a special moment. And he said, you know, he, he was desperate to, he says, I just want this photo in the, in the house. I want to get in the house. He knew he couldn't. He says, but it would make me, the, he had his Helen Rawlison Award in the house uh, and one or two other special awards that he's managed to achieve. He says, I want this. It's a it's a slate cap you get engraved with Hall of Fame uh, inductee Doddy Weir he says I just want this photo here or the, the, the trophy with my other two or three trophies in my special room inside and he couldn't get it he says but Kathy my wife's going to take that photo and I'll send it to you later so he did he managed to get that done and just again it showed how much it meant to him it showed how much Scottish rugby means to him and, and how much he means to Scottish rugby listen to that story obviously <clears throat> he read his book I've seen all the impact he's had in the media and his outlook never changes but it's, never. you can see the impact he's had meeting Rob Burrows and Stephen Darby as well mm-hmm. obviously they're going through the, the same diagnosis and the, the, the horrible things that that brings but it's amazing how that big story comes back to two clubs about three miles away in, <laughs> in the Hall of Fame and, and speaking about that and, and having a joke and everything goes out the window in terms of Covid and MND and it just becomes two mates who were rivals at some point, you know, catching up and, and sharing some, some good memories. And, you know, times like this, is, it's things like that are certainly needed and it's such a nice story here. It's just what the world's about, isn't it? It's, you know, it's a difficult time for everybody. It's challenging in many ways, more challenging for others, incredibly challenging for Doddy, but you're right, it kind of gets forgotten about. And I was thinking earlier on this afternoon about the, the first time I interviewed Doddy and... It was at the Dalmahoy Hotel the day before the New Zealand 
1999 World Cup knockout match. Mm-hmm. And I then started to think, now you would be part of the international scene at that stage. So he must have been an enormous influence on, on you within the Scotland camp to have such a character for somebody like yourself coming in. Because 1999 was an incredible year for you. You really sort of burst onto the scene, particularly in the spring of that year. So having him there would only be beneficial to you, I would, I would imagine. Well, absolutely, and, and yeah, I can, I'll embarrass him now, but I grew up watching a lot of him as well. Like he, he's a, he's got a few years on me, and you think about his performances for Melrose and South and Scotland, and and the first time I ever came across him was it, it was Cloven Ford Civic Week used to have a, a hit about the sevens on a and as a throw together, and he he was playing. I think he was an international player at the time, and and we were just all playing a, a kind of bounce game of sevens at Colvin Ford Civic Week with mates and he was he was competitive I'll give him that he was competitive even in that environment but then my first involvement with the national team was 99 we went on tour to South Africa and Doddy was on that tour so you got to get to know him and he was leading the charge as always and back then you, you uh, it was quite old fashioned traditions even at an international tour where you would have tour t-shirts and Tour nicknames, so Doddy would take it upon himself to get T-shirts printed with a with a nickname on the back, and the nickname was whatever Doddy wanted it to be. <laughs> um, so of course, I can remember it. It was a Scottish rugby T-shirt. He says, "Right, next up, Patterson, come here." He says, "Hold up." He says, "Here's yours." And bear in mind, I was oh, I'd be twenty, maybe twenty. Was I twenty-one at the time? Twenty-one, I think, at the time. And there's not a lot of me now, but there was even less of them before I was a professional athlete. So he says, here's your T-shirt, put it on. And uh, of course he put it on and everybody giggles. They looked at the back, it had Twiggy written on it. It was pretty accurate nickname. But, uh, and of course somebody said, Some, uh, about Twiggy being a model, I said, oh, I'll take that then. I'll take that, it's nothing to do with my model issue. <laughs> These are precious memories. And it's very good of you to, to share some of them with us uh, today, Chris and to reflect on the, the, the Scottish national performance down in Wales. I, I want to finally ask you about the Scottish women's team just now because mm. we are going to feature in a future episode a series of exclusive interviews with members of the, the Scottish women's camp. They must be quite frustrated on the back of such a good performance against France not to have been able then to take it forward against a, a Wales side that was very much there for the beating. And we understand why the game was, was called off, of course. Yeah, it was. And then speaking to Brian Eason, the, the head coach of women's team, that was exactly what he said. He said, you know, the next kind of hurdle for this team was to back up a performance like the, the one against France and frustrated, but completely understands the you know the situation and, and the circumstances around it. But he said exactly the same, Stuart. He says, we, we need to they understand what went well and why they did what they did against France. But backing it up becomes really important in a team's development and they will develop and, and they'll, they'll continue to, to get better they work really really hard that work, work with the women's squad as well on a Tuesday night and the effort that they've put in you know as always but certainly the concerted effort over the last probably two or three months I wasn't surprised at all with the, with the, the game against France there was, there was trepidation around it because the French women had been playing the league campaign for about I said about four or five games each and, I, and our women haven't played. They've not been able to play. So you, you're going straight into an international without any warm-up, without any preparation, really, other than camps and training, against arguably one of the best teams in the championship, hugely physical, well-drilled, having played five or six club games each. So given that context, I know it was a draw, it wasn't a win, but it, it, it shows that the progression that the, the women have made and, and they're just desperate to back that up. So... They've got an important time ahead of them with World Cup qualifications against Italy and they obviously hope to play that Wales game as well and, 
and, and progress to the World Cup's a big goal uh, to qualify for that next year. Well, Chris, once again, thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Always a pleasure, always entertaining, and we wish you all the best and look forward to, to seeing you in person sometime in the not-too-distant future. Perfect. Thanks, guys. The Tackling Scottish Rugby Podcast. A thoroughly entertaining interview there with Chris Patterson when he talks about his friendship with Doddy Weir, his, his own thoughts on the Scotland national team at the moment after that victory in Wales and just a little insight into what it was like for him as a, a young player coming into the, the Scotland squad. These stories are, are always really good to hear and very often very entertaining. Yeah, it, it was great to listen to him, great to speak with him and it does lift the mood a little bit here in the light-hearted side of what is a horrible condition. But just to see the kind of friendship and the support and the rugby kind of network breaking through, it's it's, it's great to listen to and it was it was really insightful. I thought it was a really good interview and it was, it was nice to get him on board um, and I think we're probably weeks going on we're going to have to try and pick somebody else that's not from Gala for the next few because that's been Gregor and uh, Chris Patterson so I wouldn't be surprised if Melrose are on the call shortly saying that can they get represented on the podcast but hopefully we've we'll got another few good guests lined up coming in the next few weeks so it's certainly been a great start with, with Gregor and Chris Yeah Peter Dodds we'll, uh, we know you're on hold we'll phone you back in a few weeks time bear with us it's going to be a quiet weekend coming up, Dale, with no international rugby this time around. But as we touched on, the Monday night rugby continues with both Edinburgh and Glasgow in action. Yeah, Edinburgh at home to Cardiff and uh, Glasgow are away to Ulster. So it's, it's again, the Monday night rugby. I'm probably going to have to do my, my duties and, and try and make sure I can see these games so I've got a more informed opinion because it's difficult to try and catch them while you're working at the moment. But it's uh, I'm going to try as best as I can to at least try and catch one of the games so we can maybe look at that a little bit more in depth next week. But yeah, it's it's a bit of a lull week before the, the Nations Cup coming up shortly. But there's been a, a, a real good bit of good news just breaking through there, Stuart. Yeah, important to mention this, Dale. A nice story coming out of Murrayfield. And again, I think a, an illustration of how Scottish rugby appreciates the work of the NHS because Scottish rugby are donating 15 signed jerseys to hospitals around the country. The hospitals, once they receive the jerseys, they can decide themselves what they want to to do with it, whether they display them, whether they auction them off. But again, it's, I guess, a simple gesture, but a very nice gesture from those in Murrayfield just identifying the role of the the NHS and they want to to do something for them in in some way, just just to honour the the efforts of all the NHS staff over what has been a a very, very testing and turbulent seven, eight months. Yeah, well, you know, I think we're all aware of how the last few months have been in our lives. I don't think a a fat electrician saying anything on a podcast is going to hammer that home anymore but it is a great piece of generosity from the from Scottish Rugby to do that and give it to the various hospitals I've seen Gregor Townsend actually presented one to the Borders General Hospital near Melrose it just happens to be the hospital which Stuart Hogg was actually born in the captain so the man who lifted the Doddy Weir Cup at the weekend that's their first stop so they've got another 14 to give away I'm sure there's going to be a few risk assessments for how what the kind of fixings they're going to need for the front maybe the front row if they're going to display them on the walls if they're going to donate them maybe but yeah it's a, it's a great gesture from Scottish Rugby to pass them on for the hospitals to try and raise some funds in what has been a difficult time Dale I think that's about it for this week great catching up with you once again hope you can get some time to watch 
some club rugby the next few days. Of course, there'll be a packed programme on Monday night, as you mentioned. You never know by this time next week we might be in, in a position to talk a little bit more about the, the future of club rugby. Yeah, definitely. I think it's... Uh... Well, again, a little bit of a the calm after the storm because uh, there's been a, a lot of rugby last weekend. We've got a bit of a lull and then it's going to take off again. So it's going to be different to see what's going to happen in the next few weeks with the Nations Cup. But obviously it'll probably give us a little bit of breathing room to even look at what's happening in club rugby because it's a difficult time just now for all clubs. It doesn't matter if you're a rugby club, a tennis club, a bowling club, whatever. It's a difficult time for these organisations to keep going. So it'll give us a little chance to look at our side of things and look at rugby but it's again good catching up with you Stuart and hopefully by the time we catch up next time that hair starts to grow through a wee bit steady now <laughs> it's, it's a Covid haircut it'll take its time but it's uh, it was money well spent and on that note I think it's time to thank you for listening you have been listening to the Tackling Scottish Rugby podcast you'll be able to download episodes from any good podcast provider we'll be back in a week's time with more from the Scottish rugby scene, but from myself, Stuart McFarlane. And me, Dale Clancy. Thanks for listening. Oh, he's been tackled just shot of the line. The Tackling Scottish Rugby Podcast with Stuart McFarlane and Dale Clancy. That's extraordinary.